Hey, good morning. I'm really glad that you're here. And, and, and did, you, did you have something? If you guys have prayer requests, I'm just going to say it now because I tend to forget at the end. There are, um, there are cards in the seat backs in front of you. This is your way of kind of communicating with us, whether it's, hey, I really want to get involved in some community here, or I just want to let you know that I'm here and I'd love to find out how to take steps to kind of finding more community here, or you're just carrying something in with you that is a heavy burden, those uh, cards there are to let us know what's going on so that we can join you, and we pray through that list every week, multiple times a week. And so, those cards in the seat back, please grab them, please fill them out over the course of today, and then there's white boxes in the back, you can drop them. Now, I, there's nobody there. Um, but anyway, we wanted to make sure that we didn't forget that. A couple of things I want to let you know about that are coming up today directly after our service, we are going to have a family picnic just down the street at Harper Park. This is for you, whether you have young kids or not. If you are part of Lighthouse, if you, if you want to kind of get to know people at Lighthouse, this is a great opportunity just to have some community together. Again, it's just down the street uh, to uh, Tustin, and then you hook a right, and there is Harper Park. Uh, so you are welcome to come and join us. It'll probably start around noon. You just grab your food and you join us there. Uh, the second thing I want to let you know about is next, or next Friday, we are going to have a beach bonfire. It'll be our second bonfire. We're trying to do them once a month over the course of the summer. It's a fabulous time to get to know the community of Lighthouse outside of the walls of this building. And so we're going to be down at Huntington Beach. It'll probably start around 5 p.m. and it'll run until we get tired of being there or until we burn through our wood or our s'mores or we've run out of food. So I encourage you guys to come down and join us this Friday from 5 till about 9 o'clock. And then the last thing I want to let you know about is next Saturday, uh, we are going to remember and celebrate the life of Don Dickey. He passed away a couple weeks ago, and we get to celebrate his life. So for those of you who knew him, uh, I want to welcome you back here on Saturday at 1030 to celebrate his life. Uh, so gentlemen, last week was Father's Day. You guys have a good Father's Day, I hope. I, I know that my wife asked me, you know, what do you want for Father's? And I said, I want one thing. I want a nap. That's all I want. <laughs> Isn't it funny how when you're a kid, naps are almost punishment? And then you get older and you're like, oh no, that is a blessing. Like we, we waste our blessings upon our children and they don't even appreciate them. So I told my wife, I just want a nap. And so when I got home from church, she's like, don't worry about making sure the kids are fine. I got them. You just go lay down. And I did for about 20 minutes. And then as inevitably happens, one of my boys comes downstairs, kicks the door open like he's a SWAT officer and announces, I'm bored. Right? Any of you parents experience this? It's summertime. Like This is their number one go-to. I'm bored. And I'm trying to get the sleep out of my eyes. And he, goes, and he goes, will you come play basketball with me? Now, I love naps, but I love my kids even more. And so, and I realize that this is a passing season. I'm not going to have boys who want to hang out with dad for much longer. And so as much as I would love that nap, it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I will. Give me, give me five minutes. Can I just hit snooze on that for just a second? If I go play basketball, or sometimes lately it's, can we go to the beach? And we're doing that a lot lately. Our kids can get away with that, though. I mean, it, our kids can interrupt us in ways that others can't. Could you imagine if one of my neighbors just showed up at my, at my, my bedroom door on a Sunday when I'm trying to take a nap and announced I'm bored, I'd be like, I don't care, go away. 
But our kids can get away with it because of their relationship with us. And I would imagine that's probably how our Heavenly Father feels towards us. I mean, remember, He is the creator and the sustainer of everything in all of existence. Is He busy? Absolutely. But when we when we raise our voices to him, whether it's in prayer or in praise, as we've just done, the creator and sustainer of the universe pauses and takes notice. He cares. He cares about what we bring, whether that's a, a prayer request or, or we just want to complain about life or even to just simply declare, I'm bored. I don't know what to do with my life. I'm lonely. He hears us and he cares about us. And as we entered into this summer, my desire was that we would have a series where we began to explore what does it look like to live as fully engaged worshipers of God. Many of the songs that we've sung this morning are as a, as a way of helping us to begin terraforming our hearts to say, God, my focus is on you. And it begins with our understanding of who he is and who we are to him. And so over the last couple of weeks, we have been exploring our God-given identity. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, I was playing with this idea that we are not tools. You are not a tool that God simply wants to use. And when he doesn't have a project for you, he throws you back in the box to gather dust. You're so much more than that to him. In fact, he created you with free will so that you could choose whether or not to be in relationship with him. There are a lot of his image bearers walking around this world who have flexed their freedom to say, I want nothing to do with you. And I know that that grieves his heart. But when we draw near to him and we say, I do want relationship with you, I want to join you, it is unbelievable that the creator and the sustainer of the world wants relationship with you and with me. More than that, that he wants to invite you. He doesn't want to use you. He wants to invite you to join him in the care, the cultivation, and even the restoration of the world that he created. Then last week, we explored this idea that God's love for you is more than just you're an acquaintance to him. You're like a neighbor to him. He's somebody that he, he knows. It's deeper than that. It is the relationship of a child to a parent. He loves us as his own children. He loves us so much that the cross is a tangible reminder of just how far, the lengths to which he has gone to restore that relationship with us so that he can and we can do life with him and you are secure in that love there's nothing you did to earn it you didn't do good things to prove to god that you're worthy of it you don't have to do something to capture his attention you don't have to like notice me look i'm going to give to a poor person notice me Look, I'm going to stop at that person broken down on the side of the road. Notice me. Look, I actually showed up on time to church this week. I know that doesn't, uh, you know, most of you that can't say that. But, like, that doesn't make him love you anymore. It makes me love you more when you show up because I actually get to see you and give you a hug. I'm just joking. It's a joke. That was not true. I even love my family who just walked in. What is it, like 20 minutes after? Love you. Hi, Ethan. I'm glad you made it. Hiding in the back so I won't call him out. Oh, well. 
You are loved, not because of anything you've done, but because of what your Father in heaven says about you. You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. Just getting to do life with you brings me great pleasure. That is the message of the gospel, is it not? That our creator endowed us with free will so that we can actually have relation. You can't have a relationship with a computer. You can't have a relationship with a robot. That computer or that robot might do what you've programmed it to do, but at the end of the day, you can't say you have a relationship with it. He wasn't interested in simply having robots that performed a task for him. He wants relationships. And he made us for relationship, but that freedom of will that he entrusted to us also gives us the ability to walk far from him. And every single image bearer has veered from the side of our Father. We, every single image bearer has walked away from him, taken matters into our own hands. And sin has separated us from that intimate connection to the Father. But he was not willing to simply sit and watch us walk away. He wasn't willing to wash his hands of us and give up on us. And so he sent Jesus into this world to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to die on the cross. The reason we have this cross front and center in our church is to remind us of the depths of God's love. He loves us this much, so much that he died for us. And that is good news because he died to restore us back into relationship with him. It's better than good news. It's great news. But I have to tell you, it's not the complete gospel. As much as we present that as the gospel, Jesus loves you. He wants relationship with you. All you have to accept, do is accept that gift of grace and you will be saved and your eternal trajectory will change. That is true, but it is not the complete gospel because Jesus did not just, Jesus did not just die to save us from something, namely hell. He died to restore us to save us to something. And that is to restore us back to what we were created to do, to restore the purpose for which we were created. Have you ever heard people ask the question, well, you know, what is my purpose in life? Maybe you've grappled with that question of what am I here for? God, what did you create me to do? It is a question that all of us at one point or another in our life wrestle with. And do you know that there's actually a biblical answer to that question of what you're here for, what you were created to do? That's what I want to explore this morning is the purpose for which we were created and the ways in which Jesus has restored that purpose back to us. Because it's the second half of the gospel message that we seldom actually explore. So if you would, grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. We've got extra. We would love for you to have one. Um, but go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. It's right at the beginning of your Bible. For some of you, it might even be on page two, like it is for me. As you're turning there, I want you to think back to what you know of creation, the Genesis story. You remember that God created humanity in a different fashion than he did the rest of creation. You remember the difference of how God created humanity? 
Whereas everything else was created simply through him speaking it into existence, when it came to humanity, he got his hands dirty. And he made mankind out of two things. What's the first thing he created humanity out of? This is the interactive portion. Come on. Dust. The dust or the dirt or the clay of the earth. So the creator of everything who has been speaking the world into existence gets down and he takes a portion of the earth and he begins to press it together into a a, a representation of his image. And when we talk about God's image, we are not simply talking about the fact that God has two arms and two legs and two nostrils and two eyes and two ears. We're talking about so much more than that. When he created humanity in his image, he endowed us with, he is a creative God and he made us to be able to create things. He is a God that resides in community, three in one. And he created us to be in community. In fact, the very first thing that he says that was not good in all of creation is that the man would be alone. And so he created a partner. For him and the woman. We were created to be in relationship with one another. And by the way, you don't have to be married to have that. We were created for community. And part of what is so important about doing life together is that we were not created to do life alone. And even if you are single and that God has called you to that or that is simply what you find yourself in, that does not mean that you are incomplete in any way, shape, or form, but it is imperative that you do life with others, and that's where we come in. That's where the body of Christ is so stinking important that we have others that are walking alongside of us. So he creates humanity in his image, not simply looking like him, but having similar characteristics, and then once he has this human form, made of the dust of the earth, covered in the fingerprints of the living God. But then he adds a second thing to the dust. What does he do? He breathes into it. I heard one of you. Come on, we can do better than that, okay? If I ask a question, try to participate, all right? Because there are gold stars on the line here, guys. He takes this man and he breathes the breath of his life. He breathes his spirit into his image bearer. And you know what this means? It means that humanity, unlike all other creatures in all of God's creation, is this beautiful synthesis of corruptible earth and divine spirit. We are an intersection of earth and heaven. And this gives us the ability to do what we were created to do. Namely, to live as God's representatives to the earth. To join him in the care and the cultivation of his good creation. To be an extension of heaven into the world. We were created to hold God's hand as we reach into our reality. And then he commissions humanity. In chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. 
We read this in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, let me lean into those two things, the two purposes for why God put humanity into the garden, to work it and to take care of it. Now, the, the second one first. When we take care of it, that means to be stewards of God's good creation. To be protectors, those who protect it from misuse. You know what this doesn't mean? This doesn't mean that the earth has been entrusted to us so that we can use it like our kids when you go away for the weekend or when they borrow the car, right? Because, we didn't, because it doesn't belong to us sometimes as children, we just use it up and beat it up. And it gets broken. And we go, ah, whatever. Not my problem. And that is not why he has entrusted it to our care. He has entrusted it for us to take care of it. And that needs to factor into the way that we think about the earth. I, I, my wife lately, whenever we go on walks, she's constantly, like when she sees a piece of trash, she's no longer walking past it. I'm just so convicted by the way that she will stoop down and pick up trash. We, we constantly are forgetting to bring trash bags with us. So she's just carrying pieces of trash around and throwing them away. But she recognizes that we have a responsibility to care for the earth. And sometimes that looks like going out of our way, getting our hands a little bit messy to make the world a better place. And that, that isn't just the world itself, but other people's lives. Sometimes we just want to walk past hard people because we don't want to get our time or our lives or our hands dirty. But we're called to care for it. The second, the, and then let's take that first word. We are also put on this planet to work God's good creation. And that word work there means to make something more of it than simply what is. That we would join God in forming, take, you remember when, when he created the heavens and the earth, first he spoke it into existence and throughout the rest of those six days, he brings order from the chaos. It's almost like he, in the beginning, speaks a load uh, of Play-Doh into existence and then over the course of those six days, he's forming it into something that is a work of art. And then he invites us to join him in it, in working it, and making something more of it. But that word work is more than simply to, we have a job. The word is actually avad in Hebrew. And that word avad can mean both work, but more often than not, it is the word that we use for worship throughout the Old Testament. It is a word that is used of the priests of God who lead the people into an act of responding to God in worship. And so by entering in and beginning to put your hands into the world, by holding God's hand and reaching into your sphere of influence, both to work in that place and to care for it, that is literally an act of worship to our God. It is a response to who he is. That is what we were created to do to be stewards of God's good creation and to join him in the care for and the cultivation and now the restoration of everything, including the relationships around you, the sphere of influence that he has uniquely planted you in. But we know how the story goes. 
We know that the first human beings, Adam and Eve, the moment another voice kind of spoke up and said, you know, he's really not interested in your best interest. He's withheld something for you. He's made you deficient. The moment that doubt is sown into their hearts, they take their hand out of God's hand and they reach for a pseudo-savior that they think can give them what God has withheld from them. And sin enters the world. The moment they release God's hand and take matters into their own hands, creation starts to suffer, they start to suffer. And their relationship with God is broken. And the rest of the Old Testament, if you were to read through it, you will see that it is a story of the creator of the world seeking priests, seeking representatives, seeking those who will reflect his values into the world. He begins with a single individual, a guy named Abram. Later on, he chooses a group of people, the Israelites, not because they are the largest tribe, anything but, but simply because he chooses them to be his representatives. And this is what he says to them. This is the blessing he gives them in um, Exodus chapter 13. Can we throw it up there? He says, although, I'm sorry, this is Exodus chapter 19. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Although every single thing that I have made belongs to me, and although every single individual that has breath in their lungs bears the indelible fingerprints of my hands on their life, you I am setting apart to be a kingdom of priests. Now, what is a priest? We need to define this term for a moment because I'm going to be using it quite a bit today and over the next couple of weeks. A priest is not simply a Catholic. A priest is an individual that is an intermediary between God and man, between the heaven and earth. A priest is somebody that represents the people to their God and God to the people. And you remember how we were created this divine synthesis between earth and heaven. We have been uniquely created to be able to be that, to be a priest, to be a representative. And God was calling the Israelites to do that, to represent him to the world and represent the world to him. But, but unfortunately, as if you read the Old Testament, you begin to realize very quickly that every single individual and every single group of people that God called to do this did not do it well. They did it very imperfectly. In fact, they began to misrepresent the heart of God to, to the people. And they began to champion the values of the world to their God. Hey, we don't want you to be our king. We want a king like all the other nations. <laughs> Figure this out. Come on, give us what we want. And the people began to hoard the blessings of God rather than recognizing that they had been created to be a conduit of that blessing to the world, that God was blessing them in order to be a blessing to the whole world. And so finally, when we come to the New Testament, when you get to those four Gospels, Jesus entering into the world is God once and for all saying, okay, I will do for humanity what humanity has been unable to do. I will represent my own heart. I will take matters into my own hands. 
and he sends Jesus, the word of God through which he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, that word took on flesh and entered into our reality. And notice the way that Jesus was created. Born of man, right? Born of Mary, is his mother. Born of the earth. But also, born of God, the Father. Again, a divine synthesis of heaven and earth together so that he could be that perfect bridge, that intermediary, that priest representing the heart of God to the people and interceding on behalf of the people to God. And he perfectly represented the heart of the Father. He didn't need anybody else's blessing. He already knew he was loved by the Father. And ultimately, he showed just how deeply our Father loves us when he walked to the cross and he took our sins upon himself, thus restoring us back into relationship with the Father and giving us the ability to enter back into the purpose for which we were created. Because our God is not willing to give up on us. As much as we screw up, as much as we stray, as much as we, give our th we become shaped by the world in which we inhabit, Rather than being an agent of shaping the world simply by holding the hand of our Father and reaching into the world and reflecting His values, so often we are influenced by the world around us and we become a reflection of the world and thus misrepresenting the heart of God. He was not willing to give up on His image bearers and thank God He wasn't. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Because I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be redeemed and restored back to the purpose for which we were created. So it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth of the Gospels. If you find yourself in Acts, Romans, go left. And here in John chapter 3, there's a, there is a literal priest of the people, a guy named Nicodemus. He was one of the people that was supposed to represent the heart of God to the Jews, who was supposed to make sense of the Hebrew, whoop, almost, almost dropped it, uh, was supposed to make sense of the Hebrew scriptures to the people, and was supposed to carry the prayers of the people to God. And he comes to Jesus, but he does so at night because he's afraid that if, if he does it openly, people are going to begin judging, and particularly other priests, other representatives of God. So he comes at night, and he says in John chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one else could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. So there's something about you that's different. I don't understand it. And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus replied very truly, or amen, amen, I tell you. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, we've, we've heard this term before, but for Nicodemus, it's the first time he's hearing it, and it is confusing. What do you mean, born again? And so he asks. I, I love the fact that Nicodemus is simply willing to ask his questions. How can someone be born when they're old, he asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And all of you mothers in the room replied, amen, right? No, that's not what he's talking about. And so Jesus leans in to explain a little bit of what he means by being born again. Jesus answered, 
Amen, amen, I tell you. No one can enter the kingdom of God. The ki- and a kingdom is wherever the sovereign's will is done, right? If a king says, I want every house in my kingdom to be painted blue, well, you'd get a really good idea of where the kingdom of that king's reign and rule extends based upon where the blue houses end and the yellow and the teal and whatever other colors begin. You get a good idea of where the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God? It is wherever God's sovereign will is done. And so he says, I tell you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So you cannot enter into and even do the will of God unless you were born of water. And when he's speaking about there is human birth. You think the amniotic fluid, the, the, the actual act of our first birth, all of us have experienced that. But you need to be born again, born of the Spirit. And when we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we accept that gift of salvation, when we invite Jesus into our heart, what you don't get is a little half-inch Jesus to go and reside in one of the atriums of your heart. That's not how it works. When you say yes to Jesus and you say, I don't even just want you as my Savior, I want you as the Lord of my life, he breathed the Spirit of God into your life. It is God's Spirit that comes upon you in the same way that the Spirit of God anointed Jesus for his earthly ministry. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus to drive out demons, to heal the sick, to feed the multitudes, to speak life into hurting people's hearts, and ultimately the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit is imparted to you and to me. And it is that spirit that breathes new life into us in the same way that when Adam was created out of the dust of the earth, it was the spirit of God that gave life to that otherwise lifeless mud. And we need the Spirit of God, because without the Spirit of God, we cannot do anything that is of any lasting value. The Spirit of God is what empowers us to be that intermediary between heaven and earth. It's the Spirit of God that walks with us and begins to terraform our hearts, so that when we encounter people that are difficult, rather than responding Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If they slap us, slapping them back. It's the Spirit of God that says, that's not the heart of your Father. Don't strike them back. Don't curse them back. Don't fight the way the world fights. Return blessing for the curse. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. You think you have a victory in the Supreme Court and you're really proud of that and you're excited about that and thank God, thank God, but don't gloat. Don't act the way that the world acts. Yes, it matters, but the way in which you live matters because you don't, you are not here to reflect the values of this world. You are here to reflect the value of your Father in heaven into the world that you inhabit. So pray with those who are hurting. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Reflect the values of your Father. Protect innocent life. Speak up for those who have no voice. Give people a reason to run to God rather than a reason to run from Him. So people want to put you down? Yeah, they did that to Jesus too. That does not give you a right simply to respond in kind. That's the way that the world fights. Don't fight that way. Because we have been given the Spirit of God, we have been born again, and we have been born back to the purpose for which we were originally created in the beginning, namely to be representatives of God into the world. And I would, I would remind you, because this is something I easily forget, I tend to focus on things that are way outside of my control, like what happens in Washington, D.C., like what happens up in Sacramento, like the, the rules and the decisions that are being made that are far outside of our ability. For the vast majority of us, we don't have the ability to change any of that. And yet, think about the inordinate amount of time you spend focused on things that you can't do anything about. And all the while that we're focused on those things, we overlook the very things that we can do something about, like our own homes and our families and our marriages, our relationships with our neighbors or lack thereof, the people that we encounter at work, the places that you frequent. I think of Charlie when he goes to the YMCA to go work out. And the people that he interacts with there on a regular basis. He's intentional about it. You want to change the world. You don't do it by trying to legislate morality. You do it by living out the values of your Father God into your sphere of influence. And that trickles down. We were created to be agents, to be ambassadors, to be a kingdom of priests who represent the heart of our Father into the world and represent the, represent the prayers to intercede on behalf of the broken, sin-warped world around us to our Father to pray regularly for hurting, scared, despairing people. They're all around us. Some of them are in your home. To reflect the heart of our Father and to intercede on behalf of a hurting world. You don't have to take my word for it. Go ahead and turn towards the end of the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. You remember the words that God spoke over the Israelites as he called them to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart to, ref to reflect his heart into the world. Well, Peter extends that same blessing to those that he is writing his letter to. He says this in, Second Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy or set-apart nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And listen, once you were not a people, but now you are 
a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the same blessing, the same commissioning that the, that the Father had given to the Israelites, and now Peter is extending it. But who is he speaking to? Is he speaking to seminary students? No. Is he speaking predominantly to Jews? No. He is writing this to primarily Gentile converts to Christianity, and they're all young in their faith. He's talking to people much like you and me. In fact, he's speaking to us too. The same blessing that the Father gave to the Israelites is extended to those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy, set-apart nation, a people of God who no longer claim your allegiance to the country or the political party that you were born into. You claim your primary allegiance to the king that created you in his image to reflect his values into this world. He is the one who made you to be his representative, and you forgot that, and you have lived much of your life as if that was not true. And you put your hope in politicians, and you put your hope in an economy, and you put your hope in the things of this world, because we all have to hope in something. Or maybe you put your hope in your own strength, in your own abilities. But now you have come to the point of recognizing that you need help. You need help. That you, that you are incapable of being the Lord of your own life. You've been let down by your representatives far too much. And so you have placed your hope in the one person that is capable of actually caring for you. The one thing in this entire world that cannot be shaken. Everything else is being shaken. Our economy is being shaken. Our society is being shaken. Our unity is being shaken. And when all of those things are shaken, we have a tendency to turn to the one thing that cannot be shaken. The creator and sustainer of the universe. who transcends and stands above all of the chaos and yet is willing, as we are reminded in Jesus, to enter into the messiness of this sin-warped world and enter into the messiness of our own hearts. And they are messy. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not a follower of Jesus because I got it all together. I'm a follower of Jesus because I'm the first to admit I am a sinner desperately in need of grace. And I have a feeling I'm in good company. And he enters into our lives and he says, I'm not willing to give up on you. You will be for me a priest. In fact, I'm going to entrust my Holy Spirit into you so that you can represent my heart to this world and you can intercede on behalf of your sphere of influence to me. Now, we are going to explore next week what your job description is a priesthood because I suspect that most of you in here don't know the first thing about priesting. So we'll talk about the job description next week, but there's two things that I want to draw out of this. The first thing I want to remind you today is that there are many things that you might define yourself by. Maybe it's your career path. 
Maybe it's your identity as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a child or where you go to school. Or the, the team that you root for. Marge, I'm looking at you. You know, you, you might identify yourself as many, many things, but regardless of those other things, the primary thing that is true of you is that not only are you a child of God who is incredibly loved, but if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you are born again, then you are a priest. And in fact, whenever I ask you, who are you? I want you to respond by saying, I'm a priest. So let's just try this. Who are you? Who are you? It's true. As priests of God, that plays into, it doesn't negate. My, my tendency is to say it doesn't matter if you're, you know, what career path you choose. This is actually true of you. And in fact, that's different. The fact that you are a priest only accentuates the other responsibilities you have because you might have a job right now. I know some of you are retired. But for those of you who are at a job, that doesn't negate that job. It doesn't negate the career path you are on. But what it does do is it begins to inject new purpose and meaning into how you go about your work. Because wherever you go, the Holy Spirit of God goes with you. You are a priest of God in that place. So at your workplace, whether you're the boss or the newest employee... There is a priest of God in that place. I bet that's going to alter. If, that, if you begin to recognize that you are a priest in that place, that my, I, my guess is it's going to alter the way you think about the way you do your work. It's going to alter the way you go about representing yourself. It's going to maybe change the way you go about making a sale. It's hard to stretch the truth when you recognize that the, the God of truth you are his representative in that place. Or, or maybe it's when you go out golfing with your buddies. There's a priest of God that is walking the course with them. Imagine if you recognize that about yourself, how it might change the way you talked as you walked along. It might change the way you respond when you actually accidentally shank it into the water. Hopefully, hopefully. Wherever you go, if the Spirit of God is in you, a priest of God is in that place, a representative, a connection point between heaven and earth. And God has uniquely planted you in that sphere of influence, in your home, in your children's life, in your grandchildren's life, in your neighbors' lives. And the God of the universe is inviting you to reflect his heart, his values into that place. And to begin to intercede on behalf of the hurting, broken, scared, angry. Remember, anger tends to be the superficial, the surface level emotion. Underneath it is often fear. There's a lot of anger over these last couple of days about the decision of the Supreme Court. Do not forget that underneath that is fear. And factor that into the way you choose to respond. May we be people who are not driven by fear, but by our faith in the one who loved us so much 
that he gave his life for us to restore us back into relationship and back to the purpose for which we were created, namely to be his representatives. The second thing I want to remind us of is that we, there's only been one perfect representative, only one perfect priest that has ever reflected the heart of God perfectly into this world, and his name is Jesus, which means that none of us have or ever will perfectly reflect the heart of God into our spheres of influence. You will mess up. And this is where we desperately need the Holy Spirit to help. Remember, we cannot enter into, let alone reflect, the kingdom of heaven if we are not holding on to the hand of our Father and are not being shaped by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We desperately need the Holy Spirit's help. And that means submitting to the Holy Spirit's lead in our life. That means being willing to slow. When, when, you, when you are attacked and you get angry and you want to respond in kind, that's our knee jerk. That's our flesh running ahead of our spirit. And as Christ followers, as citizens of the kingdom of God and as children of the king of the universe, the invitation is to pause and to ask God, how would you have me respond? To listen to the spirit rather than the flesh. There's far too many of us who are responding in the flesh and we are creating carnage around us and we are misrepresenting the heart of our God left and right. God has given you his spirit, not just because he likes marking people, but because he wants to empower you to do what you were created to do, to do what you were born again to do, to be his representative, to be a priest that represents his heart into this world and intercedes on behalf of this hurting world. So who are you? Let's try that again. Who are you? So my fellow priests, I know it's a weird word. It's not one we're used to using. We'll explore it a little bit more next week. My fellow priests, let's respond to our Father because that's what worship is. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. That is what worship is. Is a response to who God is as we clearly see Him and His holiness and we clearly begin to recognize how He sees us as his sons, as his daughters, whom he loves, whom he has not been willing to give up on, but has breathed new life back into the purpose for which we were created, to be his representatives. Our natural response is worship, and it looks like at times singing, which is what we're going to do. Maybe for you, it's not singing the song. Maybe it's just having an honest conversation with God, admitting the ways that you've misrepresented him or thanking him that he hasn't given up on you. Maybe it's going and seeking prayer. I know Jeff will be in the back. I'll be up here in the front. Dee, if you and Connie will be up here in the front, that would be awesome too. So maybe it's just seeking prayer. Maybe that's your natural response. That's your act of worship this morning. I will also tell you that when you walk out of this place, worship doesn't cease. As you walk out of this place, you are entering into your mission field and you go as a priest of God. And as you enter, maybe you go get lunch. The way that you represent yourself is not just, you're just not reflecting upon yourself. You are reflecting your Father God. 
your response to people, especially hard people, is an act of worship. It brings joy to your Father God, or it grieves His heart, depending on how you respond. I think of the way my boys interact with one another. When one of my sons is kind to the other, it brings joy to my heart because he's reflecting how much I value each of them. But when they're rude or they're putting down the other because they feel insecure so they need to push the other one down so they can feel a little bit better, it grieves my heart because not only do they not appreciate and are hurting one of my sons, but they're also not able to rest in how much I love and value them. They're insecure in their identity and so they need to push their brother down. May we be the kind of people who are so utterly secure in the love our Father has for us that we don't need to push anybody else down. But we, we seek ways that we can help pick them up and we can walk alongside hurting people even if their values do not reflect our values. May we be the kind of people who worship God through the way we love other people. But now, let's respond to this truth that you are not only a child of God, you ha he has not only restored your standing with the Father, but he has restored to you the purpose for which you were created. You are a priest, a representative of the living God. Priest, let's worship together. I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over It's time to sing your song. 
Right now, our Father God, whether he was napping or he was holding the world together, I have a feeling he was probably doing the latter. He just stopped and he took note of your hearts. He wasn't listening to your voices, which is probably a good thing for many of us, but he was listening to your hearts. He cares more about you than you could possibly recognize. He doesn't mind the interruption. It brings him joy. But you're more than just his kids. You're more than just a tool. You are his priests, his ambassadors, his co-laborers, not in just the care and the cultivation, but the restoration of this world that is so being impacted by fear and hatred and division and sin. 
there is a world of hurting people out there and he is calling you and he is calling me to reflect his heart into it. Not so that we can save anyone because we don't have the ability to do that. Regardless of whether it's your spouse or it's your kids or it's your parents or it's your coworkers or your neighbors, you cannot save them. So you can stop trying. All you can do is submit to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Hold the hand of your Father and reach into your sphere of influence and reflect His heart. It is a patient heart. It is a loving heart. It is a faith-filled heart that is not overcome by fear and so does not respond in fear or anger or lashing out. You are the church. You are priests. You are God's sons and daughters and you are ambassadors of hope that he is sending into this world. As you leave here, your worship doesn't end. It's just beginning. This is just the time we come together to be reminded of who we are, to be reminded of what we're about, to be reminded of the absolute solid rock upon which we stand so that we don't need to push anybody else down to feel secure. You are secure in your Father's love. You are a reflection of his heart to this world. If you have prayer requests, maybe there's something huge you've carried in with you. These connection cards here that are in the seat back, fill it out, drop it in the white boxes. You can put your offerings there as well if you call Lighthouse Home. But now, my brothers and my sisters, as you go out of here, maybe you're going to go grab lunch at a restaurant. Maybe you're going to come and join us at the park for a little picnic. There's going to be a bunch of priests there hanging out at Harper Park. So bring your lunch, bring a chair, we'll bring everything else. As you go throughout your week, you are ambassadors of hope in a world that desperately needs it. You don't reflect the heart of your father by your own strength. You do so simply by submitting to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Lighthouse Church, I love you. Now go be the church. Have a wonderful week. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh my soul, I worship your holy Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. I worship your holy name. Your home.